0: This podcast is a presentation of uctv.tv, University of California Television. Like what you learn, help others discover uctv
1: podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Good morning. morning. A little louder. Good morning. Good morning. Great. Uh, just a little quick little poll. Um, who's here from Livermore? Okay. Pleasanton? Dublin? One or two, uh, Sanol, Tracy, Mountain House, awesome. Welcome everybody. Thank you for attending the third and of four science on Saturday presentations for this year. This is the twentieth year that Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory has produced these science demonstrations that put together scientists and local science educators. Our topic today is menacing microbes. Protein models reveal secrets. Dr. Beth Vitalis, along with the science teacher Dean Reese, will discuss protein modeling using high-performance computational capabilities. This modeling information will help unlock the microbial secrets and identify new techniques to treat harmful pathogens. Dean Reese has been part of Science on Saturday for many years. Dean teaches physics at Tracy Unified School District and is currently the science chair he associated with the Teacher Research Academy at Lawrence Livermore Lab and is an instructor for climate change and computer simulations. In 2011, he received the Cortopassi Family Foundation Excellence in Teaching Science Teaching Award. Dean has just got his master's degree from Western Grove Governors University. Dr. Beth Vitalis is the lead biologist at the, on the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory pathogen bioinformatics team and also a Los Positas College biology instructor. Her educational background started at Concordia College, earning a B.A. in chemistry, and later her Ph.D. in biomedical sciences from UC San Francisco. While at Concordia, Beth was on the cross-country team, earning All-American honors and an NCAA Division II champion. Last year, she placed first in the Ohlone 50K run. Now, for your reading and enjoyment, Dr. Vitalis has co authored Computational Analysis of Pathogen Born Metallo Beta Lactamases. This reveals discriminating structures, features between B1 types. Now, you'll be tested on that. Just the title you're going to be tested on. So please welcome Dean and Beth.
2: Thank you for all coming today joining us on a Saturday morning. We're gonna have some fun this morning So before I get started at the science, I just want to tell you a little bit about how I became a scientist When I was about the age that most of you are I was fascinated with biology and I still am Um, I was especially interested in in how the human body could change and adapt how we, we got healthy after we were sick and I went off to college on a path to be a doctor majoring in biology and in my first couple years of college and I really enjoyed the biology classes but these chemistry classes they were not my favorite I just I didn't see the point of studying these bonds and these small molecules and how they interacted and then I got to my junior year of college and took biochemistry and I, wow, I suddenly realized why these bonds were important, why these molecules were, how the, it was so important to know how they interacted, and it was how we were put together is how we work. And so, in fact, my last year of college, I changed my major to chemistry, spent the year in the chemistry lab, and went on to do research. So, for those of you thinking about going to college pretty soon, some of you are getting into your junior, senior year, you don't need to know what you're going to do when you start, and you can always change your mind. Just follow your passion. That's just that's, that's important. And I also want to say a few things about... Um, why it's so wonderful to work at Lawrence Livermore Lab. I'm very grateful to be there. I get to work with a lot of different people. There are uh, the biologists, chemists, physicists, engineers, uh, computer scientists, mathematicians, um, support staff, so many people. Everybody is important, Um, and it's all teamwork, um, what we're doing. So um, everybody has has their own role. I do want to name one person who has been... um, the the mastermind and and led a lot of the work that I'll be presenting, Dr. Adam Zemla. And I want to thank him for helping me prepare um, and to share some of the the protein models that I'll be describing with you. Um, So with that, we can start with the science. Um, First of all, to summarize what we'll be talking about here. So living beings, how are we all the same? What do we have in common? And we're going to talk about little organisms, little living organisms called microbes. Scientists are interested in them, but they're challenging to to study because they change. Why is that? And how do they do that? Well, there's a secret in proteins, so we're going to look closely at proteins and why their shape is so important to what they're doing. And then we're going to look at how we actually can study these tiny proteins. We use models, the theme of this Science on Saturday series. And here, again, I'm going to show you how we use some computational models so that we can actually explore what these proteins are doing. OK? Let's start by looking at some pictures. OK? I'm going to tell you a little bit about a few of these um, and be thinking about how they're all similar, something in common with them. Okay? Streptococcus pneumoniae. This causes sore throat. SARS, coronavirus. This was known to to make many people sick, oh, about 10 years ago. Uh, There's that protein on the surface, that little spike there. That's how it grabs onto its host. Hepatitis virus, many different types of this little um, organism. Influenza, that can be particularly devious. It changes every year. That's why we need new vaccine shots. Salmonella bacteria, this can cause food poisoning, that's no fun. Staphylococcus, this actually resides on a lot of us. Um, Sometimes it'll be in a form that can make us sick, so it can be particularly menacing. E. coli bacteria. Lactobacillus bacteria, believe it or not, we're full of it. It's in our digestive tract. We have lots of this bacteria, but it's, it's healthy, we need it. Um, and friendly. Rabies virus, not so friendly. We don't want to encounter this guy, right? An Ebola virus also can be deadly. Um, fortunately, it circulates usually just in bats, rarely can it, it cross into humans. Okay, and there's many more. We could look at more pictures. But uh, raise your hand if you have thoughts on what, what might be in common with all these. Yeah, well. They're microbes, microorganisms, tiny little living organisms, but we can't see them, okay? But let's, these are interesting to, to scientists. They can be very menacing because they can change, and they can be quite deadly. So several hundred years ago, in the 13th century, there was a, the bacteria called Yersinia pestis, It made people very sick, and nearly half of the population in Europe were dying of this disease. And it was very scary. People didn't know why. They couldn't do anything about it. Um, They they called it the Black Death. It's also known as plague. And the reason this was so frightening was we couldn't see. We didn't know our enemy. We, We didn't know what we were up against. Okay, but fortunately, several hundred years later. Microscopes were invented, we can now see these microorganisms, and scientists then eventually made a link between disease. However, a groundbreaking discovery was made by the fellow on the right. Uh, His name is Alexander Fleming. He uh, went on vacation, uh, returned, and found that he had mistakenly left a dish of bacteria sitting out. He made an observation, he looked at it, and there was a clear area next to something new. That new stuff was this mold that probably came in through the window. There was that clear area. He realized that this was an area where the bacteria were being killed by the mold. So more experiments followed, and the development of antibiotics. How many of you, raise your hand if you know what antibiotics are, if you've heard of that. Okay, great. Those are drugs. They kill bacteria, or at least stop their growth. Very powerful. This is back in the 1940s. Sulfa was the first one that made it to market, and then penicillin. And they're great. Okay? 1944 advertisement, Life magazine. Thanks to penicillin, he will come home. World War II, soldiers came home. They weren't dying of their infections out in the field. And also, the life expectancy of people. Everybody benefited. Everyone was healthy and happy. The deadly bacteria had been conquered or had they? Ah, they're bacteria. They're alive. They're changing. All living organisms want to survive. This was a challenge. Our wonder drugs were in danger. And that's because the bacteria can change and adapt um, in order to be resistant. They can evade the drugs. The drugs won't work anymore. Okay, so this is a challenge for scientists. They need to know in order to to make new drugs to be able to predict when they're going to become resistant. Um, But it's a a bigger picture. Uh, With all microorganisms, they change to become more menacing in other ways as well, as we'll be looking at. But how can we study that? Or how can we really address this this challenge of of how they're changing? Well, let's think about how microorganisms are all alike. Okay, So we're going to start with our first question of the day. and I'll call out the, the answers, raise your hand when I, when I um, tell you a, when I say a correct answer. Okay. What, what do they have in common? Do they grow? Okay. Can they change? Adapt to survive? Good. Do they have DNA? Make proteins? Great. So if you raise your hand four times, you're right, four times already, today on a Saturday. That's a great job. Okay. so. Also, all microorganisms share these aspects; they're related, and we're going to see how these are important, or how microbes can become more menacing. Okay? It's going to start with the DNA. You may have heard what that is. Um, we'll talk just a little bit about the DNA. It's the green material inside what is a bacteria here, but we all have DNA. That's what a bacteria just has one cell. Humans have thousands of cells, um, but. We all have this DNA, so we're really all alike. A little scary sounding, right? Okay, But DNA is important because it carries the information to make proteins. It's in the, in the segments of the DNA called genes. Now, why are these proteins important? Well, the proteins that are made based on the information in the genes, they do all the work of each cell and of the living organism. Is how we grow, how we eat, move, reproduce, communicate, um, in, in thousands of different roles. And how do how does the proteins do that? Well, there's thousands of different proteins. They all look a little different. They have their own unique role. And even though genes and DNA get a lot of attention, DNA is kind of a lot alike. The, the proteins have personality. They get the job done, right? So, just take a quick look at how proteins are made. There's some fascinating biology that you'll be learning as you go through school. We're um, just going to look at a video clip so you can observe the, how the information in the DNA becomes proteins using some of the, the organelles inside the cell. So, there's some technical <coughs> terms throughout this talk I, I want to mention that you don't have to learn all today um, there won't be a test at the end um, it, this is just such a phenomenal process that we wanted to show it with you I'll we'll get more answers, but we're going to learn more now. We have a challenge. The protein, when it's made, is a string of these small molecules. Those are called amino acids, but it's just one line. And we, we want to understand how these amino acids can, can carry out so many different roles. So Mr. Reese and some of his students are going to teach us and demonstrate about proteins.
0: Okay. <clears throat> Well, good afternoon. Um, so if you take a look at the, the, the slide here, you see all these letters, A, C's, A's, U's, and G's. And you're wondering, are there really letters inside of our cells like that? And the answer is no. There are no alphabet letters like that. Those actually represent certain molecules. And that squiggly line that's above those letters is a string of amino acids, which makes a protein. So that's something very important that we want you to understand today is that proteins are made of a chain of amino acids. And if you saw previously in the video, you might have recognized that string of green beads that came off of the ribosome there. That is the protein itself. And it starts off as a line, kind of like you have here, that, that squiggly line above the letters. But it doesn't stay a line. It actually ends up folding in on itself and becoming a structure that looks more like this. This is a model of a protein. Um, and you can tell it's got this kind of funny shape to it And that's what gives this, this uh, protein personality And every protein shape will determine what its function is For the organism that it's in um, You'll also notice that there's these segments Where there's, they're kind of like part of the protein This purple part connected to this peach part And it's connected there for a reason Because there's different bonds Between the amino acids within a protein and the bonds—a bond—is what keeps, uh, you know, molecules sticking together, right? And so this protein is is kind of s- creates this shape because of the different amino acids that are in the protein and their characteristics. And so today I want to bring some of my students uh, that came out real early this morning to do this demonstration for you, and basically help uh, illustrate um, these different types of amino acids and how proteins fold. Okay. So let's give my students a round of applause for coming out today. All right. So the first thing I want to do is just talk about the different types of, of amino acids that are found within, within proteins. Um, and so the first type that we're going to talk about is called cysteine. And uh, yeah, let's, let's raise up the cysteine. Here, raise that one up. Okay, so this green one, that, they're color-coded, so that helps us kind of see where, where they are in this protein. And again, this, these students right now represent a chain of amino acids, right? And that chain is a protein. But again, each amino acid is a little bit different. Uh, we have two cysteines. Cysteines are responsible for a very strong bond, and that creates a, a, a fold in the protein that, that provides... A, a, You know the structure, a major part of the structure to the protein. Um, The second molecule, or the second type of amino acid I want to talk about is a negative amino acid. And negative amino acids, and then followed by positive amino acids, those also stick together. They don't stick together quite as strong as the cysteine uh, amino acids do, but they also create a very strong bond, and that also helps create the shape of a protein. Um, The last two are kind of special. The first one is called hydrophobic. And does anybody know what the the prefix hydro means? Yeah. Yeah, water. Good, I'm hearing a lot of people say that. That's outstanding. So hydro means water, and phobic means hate. So these ones hate water. And in fact, they prefer to actually be to themselves. And they want to stay connected to other hydrophobic um, amino acids. And the last type of amino acid is a hydrophilic. And hydrophilic amino acids love water. They're they're water-loving. And so um, these ones prefer to be close to water as possible and stretch out towards water, okay? And so what I want to do now is, if this was a protein that came from that string of codons that you saw in the, in the movie, how would it now go from a string to actually folding? And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna demonstrate that for you. So uh, go ahead and link arms, everybody, because that's, uh, that's creating the chain of amino acids. And now we're gonna have the cysteine molecules uh, connect. So bend around. Very good. And so now we have a we have the amino acids kind of folding into a shape now, right? The next fold I'd like to represent will be uh, the positive amino acids kind of attracting towards the negative amino acids. Okay. So now we kind of have this like, this S shape somewhat, right? And now these hydrophobic amino acids, these are the ones that um, would prefer to be near each other and not near water. They kind of like move towards each other, and, and they're already really close, but they kind of like huddle together. Um, and lastly, we have these blue ones, the hydrophilics, and they're going to try to like move out towards water, because remember, this is in a cell, and cells are filled with water. So they kind of like tracked outward towards the water that's surrounding um, this protein. And this basically demonstrates uh, how a protein goes from that chain to looking more like a fold. Okay? Let's give them a round of applause. Nice Mm -hmm. job, everybody. Okay. Okay? Thank you.
2: All right. Fantastic job, amino acids. I'm sure you're a very important protein that does a very special job. (laughs) All right. So... I'll uh, summarize here what, what they demonstrated very well. String of amino acids, the challenge is to, to understand how it's a protein. Those two cysteines they, they played an important role, to, they, how they came together form that tight bond. All proteins have those disulfide bonds. So let's look at an example of how they determine the, the shape. This woman was bored with her hair. So she went to the slot. The stylist put some chemicals on her hair, because hair is made of proteins like the rest of us. The disulfide bonds broke. That's why it kind of smells bad in salon sometimes. Put some curlers in, let the disulfide bonds reform. She has a new look. Okay, the proteins have an entirely different shape. There's another way that proteins can change, and that's if the amino acids change slightly, that will change their bonds. So I'll explain another example in... in this case, the function changes a little bit. Okay, so there's a protein called tyrosinase, um, and what what its job does is it, it makes melanin out of a molecule called tyrosine. Okay, so all cats are special, but Siamese cats, excuse me, their tyrosinase has a couple amino acids different. It's a little quirky, so it doesn't work at the cat's core temperature. It only works when it's a little bit colder, and we can see this cat on the left, it's probably grew up in California or some other warm climate. The so tyrosinase is only working in the ears and the nose and the tail away from the core. But the, I'm sorry, that was the cat on the left. Now the cat on the right, he's probably from Sochi, Russia or some other cold climate. So there's more active protein. More melanin produced, right? So it does have a different function, a few amino acid change. Um, Now with the cats, this this really isn't a problem. We love our furry friends regardless of their color, right? So um, that there is often the case when we change amino acids, we change the function. Um, And and this is not always so good. So here's a human example. A protein we're going to talk about here has... Um, a very important role, the tiny little circles inside the red blood cell, and um, can look at the one on the left, which is a healthy one, those are the molecule called hemoglobin. It's a protein that carries oxygen. That's its role, okay? It's actually a very long protein, there are a lot of amino acids, but there's one amino acid that in some people it can change. Normally it's a negative charged amino acid, okay? Now imagine, remember our our negative amino acids, remember how they were real close to the positive amino acids? Now imagine those negative, they become hydrophilic. Okay, so what are they going to do? They're going to move away, right? How these hydrophilics move away. That will entirely change the shape of the protein, enough so that the red blood cell takes on a different shape, no longer carries oxygen, and the function is impaired. So this is an example of how every amino acid could be important. And, and as scientists, we want to understand how an amino acid change can change a, a function. Because this is a key to how an organism can change and evolve. So as scientists, we we want to know how can living organisms change, particularly with these menacing microbes. Okay, so what might be a clue based on what we were just what the, the um, amino acids just showed us. Where might we look if we want to see how an organism can change? Anybody want to venture an answer? Yeah, did someone say?
0: Um, if, if they change then they'll get worse, and you have to find better ways
2: to fight them. Yeah, we'll have to find better ways to fight them if they change. And what will change? I'll give you a clue. The proteins, that, that, was a, that was a great guess, we need to um, continually watch, look at their proteins to see how they'll change, particularly the shape of the proteins. We have a challenge though. The proteins are smaller than even microscopes can see, right? So how are we going to study them? How are we going to study how amino acids can change how, they, how their shape and their function? Okay, so as you heard with the other Science on Saturday speakers and if you've gone to the previous two, and the theme of these series is computational modeling, what scientists do when they can't see or touch or feel what, they're, what they want to study, they build a model and then that helps, that lets them explore changes and, and understand how it works. So that too is what we um, do with proteins. Okay? So here's our starting point. This is a protein. This is the information that, that biologists will have regarding a protein. And each letter um, actually represents one amino acid. Okay? So we, we, this is how the information is transferred about proteins. This is what we have. There's a lot of information there, but it, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't tell us, by looking at it, what the protein does. Well, you want to be able to see what it looks like, right? Okay, there's a number of different ways um, that models can be built of proteins say, using crystallography and, and different methods that take a lot of time and a lot of money. Um, but well, scientists at the lab, a number of different scientists working together, mathematicians, biologists, and particularly computer scientists, using some of the high performance computing capabilities that we have at the lab, is built a program by which we have all the structure and sequence um, available for all the proteins that have been studied by scientists everywhere. Scientists help each other. That's, that's a common theme in, in science. All right. So all the structure and sequence is available. We take our, our sequence of interest and compare. Homology means like. We look for all the sequences and structures that it is like. And and this is something we can do because nature repeats itself. This is a a common theme. Protein that does a similar job in one organism, another organism, very different. The protein will look similar, not exactly the same. Um, But we can take advantage of this. And by using this system, we can quickly generate a 3D model, something that we can look at. This represents the protein and it gives us a lot more information about how this protein functions. Now it's looking more like the protein that Mr. Reese showed us and more like the students when they form that shape, right? So this is very powerful and and this is an additional um, benefit of this is it's very fast. Okay, so one example to show you of how this system can be used to study how an amino acid change can um, be made in a protein by a bacteria to, to make it more menacing. Okay? We had a collaborator studying Yersinia pestis that was a bacteria remember that, that causes the plague, and he had a strain that was, it was mutating faster, and that was a concern that it could be come more menacing quicker could evade drugs quicker, I mean, more chance to um, to become more menacing. And so we went to, he he knew that there was one amino acid change, but he didn't know the the significance. How was it causing it to to be more menacing? So what we did is first built this model on the left, very complex, but with the computer system we can zone in on the region of interest. There's an active region shown on the left and that one amino acid that's colored, that was one that was important because in most Yersinia pestis, it was a hydrophobic amino acid. Remember our hydrophobic, folks, or amino acids here? Yeah, they, they kind of clustered together, right? Um, so kind of think it's kind of in the middle there. Let's see what it does, okay? But we want to understand a little bit more what we can do with this system. We can keep zoning in. That's what the scientists do. They drill down. Let's look closer. Here we have actually, when we look closer, we see that it formed a tunnel in this region. The amino acid that we're looking at is at the bottom of this tunnel, but that was important to the function of the protein. But where we're we going, what we want to know okay, if we swap out that amino acid with this one in the mutant strain of Yersinia pestis, turned out that's a positive amino acid, and when we map it onto the model, look what happens. Because it's a positive amino acid. What did our positive ones do if there was a negative amino acid nearby? Well, they scooted over there. And what that did here was it closed off this tunnel. This protein lost its function. Um, And because it's a DNA repair protein, which normally would keep the mutations in check, it could cause the bacteria to mutate faster. So this was a clue based on this one amino acid change. Hey, so that's just one example of how these models can be used. I want to talk a little about viruses. They can be particularly menacing um, because they mutate faster. Now, some people may argue that our viruses are not living because they're they're DNA and protein, Um, but they do grow and they change. So we're going to consider them menacing microbes. And they're particularly... um, of of importance to study because viruses that normally infect animals can be very nasty. And if they can mutate such that they are able to infect humans, that's a cause for concern because we don't want to be sick, right? So the examples that you may hear of influenza, um, we know that when it infects pigs and, and birds, the swine flu and avian flu, There's concern if those viruses mutate and can infect humans, which they have in in a few cases, then then that's something we want to be able to predict um, and to know when that's going to happen. So we want to study this at the lab. Um, And some of the biologists there did some experiments using a, a virus related to SARS coronavirus. This one is a bovine coronavirus. It normally infects cows. Um, they're interested, in, in the picture in the middle is the virus. The spike protein is um, what's known to be the way it attaches and, and grabs onto the host. experiment they did was they took some of the virus from an infected cow, cultured it in human cells, and then looked for viruses that adapted and grew well in human cells and looked for the mutations that occurred in in those viruses. The sequence on the bottom is what they... Determined to be the sequence for the, those well human adapted viruses. That's interesting. And the green, the green residues are the mutated ones. It's very important, um, valuable information, but how can we make sense of it? All right, so what we did is mapped it onto a model of the spike protein. It looks a little different because this model is represent in a way that we can see what's on the surface of it. And the discovery was those amino acids that had changed in the human cells were actually on the surface of the spike protein. And that was significant information to help us predict what might be a change the virus makes and able to infect humans. Okay, so this is an example, too, of how biologists and computer scientists work very closely together. So it's teamwork. Okay, so this work is ongoing. Um, in, in, the, in the virus evolution, but I want to go back to those pesky bacteria that we started with. Okay? They, they mutate, and so they're no, we can no longer use the medicine that we have available. There's a number of ways that they, they mutate and change, and it, it can be complex, but usually doctors, if, a, if some bacteria are resistant to the drugs that they give a patient, well, they have other drugs available some of the bacteria are starting to become resistant to more and more of the available antibiotic drugs, and that is becoming particularly menacing. And this is a a complicated area. There's um, a number of different ways that antibiotics work. Um, There's also a number of different, even more ways that the, the bacteria adapt so that they can evade the antibiotics that we have available. Um, so we're going to go to YouTube. Just look at a video. There's there's some um, topics and additional information that we haven't discussed here, but I think you might enjoy seeing some of the, how the antibiotics work, and then particularly look for ways the bacteria change so that they can destroy the drug or somehow avoid um, being being killed by the by the drug. Okay, so go to YouTube.
3: Gram-negative bacteria have a cell wall that lies between the outer membrane and the inner cytoplasmic membrane. The cell wall contains penicillin binding proteins, or PBPs. PBPs help build new cell wall during growth and division, maintaining its integrity. Beta-lactam antibiotics bind to these PBPs and weaken the cell wall resulting in the cell's death. Gram-negative bacteria, common in hospital-acquired infections, often contain several mechanisms that can render antibiotics ineffective, including changing the outer membrane and preventing antibiotics from entering, and pushing antibiotics out that do get through by using efflux pumps. Certain gram-negative bacteria can also produce beta-lactamase, These enzymes inactivate beta-lactam antibiotics and keep them from binding to PBPs. Some gram-negative bacteria can produce powerful beta-lactamases called extended-spectrum beta-lactamases or ESBLs. ESBLs can render penicillins, cephalosporins, and monobactams inactive. In order to effectively treat infections caused by drug-resistant gram-negative bacteria, new antibiotics that overcome multiple mechanisms of resistance are needed.
2: Can, can any of think of one way the bacteria adapted or something they produced to avoid these antibiotics killing them? Yeah, you. They produced enzymes to destroy the binding, exactly, very sharp. And that enzyme, one in particular, it was a a gray one that came out and chopped up that little antibiotic drug, it's called a beta-lactamase, right? So and then they mentioned that it was not a problem, we just made more drugs, but then the the lactamases uh, continued to um, evolve so they could destroy more drugs. And this is a concern, okay? So it actually it was, was coming to life a few years ago in New Delhi, India. I don't know if any of you remember hearing in the news of a, um, some bacteria that had a, a new uh, antibiotic resistance gene. It turned out it was a beta-lactamase and it was resistant to virtually all of the drugs. This is very concerning. There was no way to treat it. And even more startling was that it was spreading very rapidly through different bacteria and across the globe. It made its way to the United States within a few months. Uh, So there was interest in studying this. We acquired the protein sequence for this particular beta-lactamase, which is called NDM1, New Delhi. Uh, metallo beta lactamase, um, but India 1 is how we'll refer to it from here. So, we got this sequence. Can anyone tell me what you think we did with this protein sequence? Yeah? Made a, model. Made a model. Great, exactly. We built a protein model. Thank you. This was really informative then. Um, when we studied, I'll tell you a little bit how, I don't know, what we discovered. And So this is the lactamase protein, and and a number have been made by other bacteria, as we saw um, in the video. Um, But this particular NDM1, as it was called, since since it was from New Delhi, it had some regions that were unique, only to this particular lactamase, that green loop at the top, you know, that, that must do something. Maybe that's how it was able to bind to so many different antibiotics. And a particular interest near the center, uh, I'll point out where um, one, one feature we look for is if there's amino acids that are shared amongst all similar proteins, as are the ones in the red. Those are critical. That's something important that's going on there, all right? But really close to them are some amino acids that are green that those must be special. There must be something they're doing that is giving this protein its, its unique resistance. Um, the zinc and the sodium, those are involved. That's part of the, the um, active site of the protein. Just give you a little bit more technical information on this one. Let's look a little closer. And we have another tool. We can rotate it. These proteins actually are 3D. We've been looking at them. 2D, and there's we can see that space, the colored amino acids are those are the ones of interest. And so we can actually really zone in using these tools. We're, we're looking at this, but remember these proteins are so small we can't actually see them. This is the way that computers create models and enable us to really explore and delve down into these molecules that are of interest. Okay, but you're still probably thinking at this point it's it's a little discouraging that the bacteria just keep mutating and evading the drugs even though we keep making more drugs. When I say drugs, I'm, I'm referring to the antibiotic drugs. Hey, okay? but let's think of it positive. One strategy that that uh, scientists are are pursuing right now, how about we use some of bacteria's own proteins? They make proteins, they need to break down the cell wall. We saw that cell wall in the beginning, in the the last video, before they divide. The cell wall degrading proteins. Maybe we can can take advantage of that. So we're using these structure models to, to try to analyze some of these bacterial proteins and see if we can engineer Our own drug using bacteria's own protein. So you know the battle is still ongoing. We have the menacing microbes continually change. um, That there are things that we can do: computational modeling and a lot of other scientists um, involved in the effort and. We hope that many of you future scientists can can join this effort to understand how the menacing microbes are changing and how we can continue to outwit them. So I'm gonna summarize a little bit what we've talked about. So first we, we talked about how all living beings are the same in some ways and how we can change, all right? And this is a real challenge. Because um, we want to scientists need to understand microbes um, in order to be able to develop new drugs and to keep us healthy, right? Okay, and we talked about how proteins are important, they hold the clue to how we change and evolve, and the shape of the proteins is particularly important, important there, okay? They have this particular shape by folding. The students did a fabulous job explaining and demonstrating that for us, and that determines the function. If it changes a little bit, we lose the function. We want to study this. We use models, and the computational models that we are able to use at the lab using input from numerous different scientists enables us to really drill down and understand what is happening and provide clues to the menacing microbe secrets. All right.
0: So that concludes the the presentation. Thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.